Welcome to Nutrition Assessment. In this episode, we have the audio-only piece of today's synchronous Zoom call all about micronutrient assessment. And so with this um, lecture, we talked both about micronutrients in terms of biochemical assessment and how they fit into the larger nutrition-focused physical exam. And for all the details on the nutrition-focused physical exam, be sure to check out the recordings from each of the lab times, um, because that, as you know, is where we spent the bulk of our time talking about NFPE. So as we get into micronutrient assessment, this is a a repeat of a slide from biochemical assessment. I want to remind you that when we're looking at tests for these nutrients, there's two types of tests. We have static tests, which are directly measuring the thing in question, um, and functional tests or indirect tests that are measuring our adequacy in a nutrient by looking at um, whether or not we're able to do the thing that that helps us do, okay? Um, so whether that is, you know, the classic example is vitamin A and vision, or it could be, we'll get into the B vitamins and like healthy skin, for example. What's tricky about, um, nutrition in general is that there is not a way to draw your blood and get a blood draw and look at those values and say, well, you ate 2000 calories yesterday and 30% of those calories came from fat. And it was specifically this type of fat and you're adequate in all of these new, that's just not how nutrition works, Right. There's not a way to draw blood and just get a lab value for someone's nutrient status for the most part. Um, There are some exceptions, but for the most part, there are workarounds. So we'll talk about that. So it's either you're looking at um, a direct measure in some cases, or you're looking at an enzyme activity, or you're looking at a functional example in terms of vision or um, skin integrity and all these different things. And what's really tricky about this too, like so the static example I've got here, Blood calcium, we've talked about this. Blood calcium tells you nothing about a person's overall calcium status, right? Because the the body is going to very tightly maintain serum calcium levels. If they're out of range, something is terribly wrong. But for the vast majority of people, um, blood calcium levels are going to remain in this very tight range. And what's going to change, right, is your um, bone density and your bone composition. So measuring the blood doesn't tell you anything about the amount of calcium in the bone. So it's this, this nutrient level in the sample may not really reflect, reflect nutritional status. That's a tough, um, it's a tough concept to wrap your head around. And it's also just, it, it makes our lives difficult, but that's why we're here. Um, so we're going to go through how do we assess all of these things since you can't just do a finger stick and say, oh, well, your vitamin C level is great. Um, so let's go through. So vitamin A, why, why do we use a functional measure for vitamin A? Um, I was, I was looking last night and I was like, well, is there any kind of measure we can use for, for, um, like a serum level of vitamin A? And the answer is no. (laughs) The answer is no, because when your vitamin A intake is adequate, over 90% of the total vitamin A is stored in the liver, right? We're not biopsying your liver to check your vitamin A status. That is not a thing. That's way too invasive. Um, And so if 90% of the total vitamin A is stored in the liver, where is the rest of it? Well, the other 10% is um, found as plasma retinol, but it's under very tight control. So it's bound to retinol binding protein, 
which is a negative acute phase reactant, that protein concentration will change in the presence of stress or inflammation. And so that doesn't really tell us about vitamin A status either. So there isn't a good biochemical measure for vitamin A status because of the way our body handles vitamin A. We're storing it. So you look for signs and symptoms of vitamin A deficiency. And these are all review, I'm sure, from six bajillion other nutrition classes you've had. But you've got dry eye or xerophthalmia, um, night blindness, so that, that difficulty shifting from light to dark, which I feel every night when I go from my brightly lit office to, to going to bed. Um, I'm not, I don't have night blindness, but I do go from really bright screens to, to darkness. Um, impaired embryonic development happens with vitamin A deficiency. Follicular hyperkeratosis, this is actually a physical sign that you might see. Follicular hyperkeratosis means that the hair grows in um, very tightly curled, basically. For someone who doesn't normally have curly hair, it's it, like it's kinked, really tightly curled and kinked. Um, there's also an increased susceptibility to infectious disease and increased risk of mortality with vitamin A deficiency. So bad, we don't want that. So, okay, we can't just test your blood and get a sense of your vitamin A status. But the first, at the, you know, the top of our list, the symptoms we look for are dry eye and night blindness. So back to this idea of the head to toe NFPE, we're gonna start with the head and look at the eyes. So I have what is normal for the eyes. And you've already got the slides, so I'm not gonna make you sit here and, and tell me what a normal eye looks like. Um, but a normal eye should be bright, um, clear, shiny, membranes moist and pink, and no broken vessels. So an unhealthy eye would be anything that is missing these things. So if the membrane, membranes, so the, you know, the inside of your eye, if it's dry, um, that's a problem. If the eye itself is dull or dry, that would lead, to, lead you to think that they have dry eye. If they complain of having dry eye, that would, that would tell you something important. Um, and broken vessels would be undesirable as well. And so here's where I added this um, magnifying glass icon to any slide that is like, remember, this is going to be part of your NFPE of that head to toe. Not that you're going at the person with the magnifying glass, just that that was the quickest icon I could think of that sort of fit the idea of, remember, this one goes with NFPE. So <clears throat> here is an example of <clears throat> vitamin A deficiency. And what you see here is this spot, okay? Here's, here's the word for this spot. Here's all the ways I've heard this word spelled, or pronounced rather. I've heard it pronounced batot spots. I've heard it pronounced bito. I've heard it pronounced bito. Peter, how many ways have you heard this thing pronounced? Bit it. Bit it? Yeah, I don't, I, I searched Google last night and like YouTube, find me a video, find me audio of someone correctly pronouncing this. And I found all of those things, right? So I, Peter, what do you typically say? Bit it. Yeah, I have, I was I think I've heard batat the most, so I say batat. Is it French? I don't know. What is it? Somebody tell me how to pronounce it. Bito. Bito. Yeah, I have no idea. What this is, this is this is basically a hardening of the tissue of the eye, and so this is um, indicative of vitamin A deficiency. And Peter, you said you had a patient who actually had one of these. I did two weeks ago, um, and I, you know, I do the whole thing, and I never see well, I never see anything in the eyes or in, in the mouth that uh, indicates potential deficiency. But I did see this, and I was like, oh my gosh, I had to show somebody, so I showed the doctor. I'm like, come look at this. 
Chelsea's asking, is that permanent? I don't know. Is it reversible? Can, if, you, if you supplement with vitamin A and get them back to a healthy status, does their eye go back to being healthy? Peter's gonna look that up for us. All right, this next slide, I'm not gonna stay on too long because it's early and maybe you're eating breakfast. Um, but there is um, the sign and symptom of keratomalacia. This is basically softening of the, of the eye. Um, and so, you know, you've got, you've got a lot going on here, right? This is, we've got a bloodshot eye, there's dryness, cracking. Um, this, this piece here is that keratomalacia. I don't like that one, so we're gonna move on. Um, <laughs> so um, while you're looking though, so those, those are both signs and symptoms of vitamin A deficiency, but while you're in the area, while you're looking at the eye, you can also gently pull down on the eyelid and look at the con conjunctiva, the, the pink part right inside your eye. Um, it should be pink, right? And so what you see here is this is a pale conjunctiva, which could be indicative of iron deficiency, folate deficiency, or B12 deficiency. So we haven't, strictly speaking, gotten to the B vitamins yet, but since we're in the area, since we're at the eye, um, you can check for these possible micronutrient deficiencies as well. And Chelsea, the answer to your question is, it is fully reversible. Nutrition is pretty cool, I gotta say. There's a lot of good things we can do with nutrition. All right, so we did, we're doing our, our head to toe. You've checked the temples, you've checked the orbital area. While you're checking the orbital area, you also check the conjunctiva and the eye itself. Um, so we'll, we'll move on to B vitamins. So if I had a soapbox to stand on, I would pull out my soapbox and stand on it to, to do my rant about how B vitamins do not give you energy, which some of you have heard this rant before. Um, B vitamins, you can see here on this slide, B vitamins are deeply integrated in the use of energy, right? But energy means things that give us calories. So <clears throat> carbohydrate, protein, fat, and alcohol are all things that give us energy. And so five-hour energy, the drink, does not have any energy. It has caffeine and B vitamins. Um, you would ask Amanda, when you're checking their eyes, you would ask permission to, to do that basically. So in my case, you'd say, would you mind if I take off your glasses? I'm going to check your eyes. And, um, once, once you're in the area, you don't have to pull very hard. You can just pull just a little bit to get a sense of what that conjunctive is. It's not like you're, you're not, not yanking the, the skin away from their face. Um, B vitamins, energy production. Okay. So why did I bring up this slide? When we get into talking about B vitamin deficiencies, these are all the places that we need B vitamins in order to produce energy. And so when we talk about who is most at risk for a B vitamin deficiency, we talk about people who are alcoholics because all of these processes are disrupted because a lot of these same enzymes that require um, B vitamins are used for the metabolism of alcohol. And so these particular B vitamins can be used up at a greater rate. And so when we say at risk for such and such deficiency, it's almost always um, a person who um, has alcoholism. So that's, that's my, my quick note of when we talk about B vitamin deficiency, think about all the places those B vitamins go and if you go back to, you know, micronutrient metabolism, how very interrelated a lot of these things are. A lot of them are dependent on each other. So why that matters is when you're trying to look for physical signs of a B vitamin deficiency, it becomes very difficult to look at someone and know which B vitamin is deficient, right? 
you're typically going to be able to say probable B vitamin deficiency or probable multiple B vitamins deficient. Um, but by just looking at someone, you're not going to know which B vitamin for the most part. I think I've got one exception. So for that, you would need to also look at lab values, which you as a dietitian may or may not be able to order. Um, so for a B1 deficiency, there's very little danger of toxicity. There's no upper limit with B1. If you were measuring for B1 in a blood draw though, you're actually measuring erythrocyte transketolase activity, or you could measure thiamine itself in blood or urine. So this is an example of, you could do a direct measure of thiamine in a blood sample or a urine sample, or you could look for a functional measure, the activity of an enzyme to find out someone's B1 status. So there are serum, there's a, there's a whole blood measure of another blood measure and a urine measure, um, but short of that, there are also physical signs and characteristics of a thiamine deficiency. So for example, thiamine deficiency, beriberi, and I realize some of this is review. This is, um, the term beriberi is actually thought by some to have come from an Indonesian word meaning I can't, I can't, which is what someone might say in response to weakness and impaired function brought on by thiamine deficiency. Um, it's most prevalent in parts of the world that rely on unfortified milled rice as a staple of the diet. Um, and so the, this causes weakness and impaired immune function. There are four types of beriberi. Dry is, most, is found mostly in adults. Um, cause, it causes severe muscle wasting and leg cramps, decreased feeling in feet and toes. Wet, it's a wet edema is characterized, or wet edema, wet beriberi is characterized by severe edema, so severe re retaining of fluid. Infantile would occur if an infant is breastfed by a B1 deficient mother. And then cerebral beriberi is um, <clears throat> also known as Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome, and it's characterized by poor muscle contraction, confusion, and um, one of my favorites, confabulation. So this one is typically associated with alcoholism because alcohol decreases the absorption of thiamine and also you're doing a lot of metabolizing to get rid of that alcohol. Um, so if, if beriberi is left untreated, it can also lead to heart issues. And just, just real quick on this Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome or the cerebral version of beriberi, the cerebral type. Um, it causes loss of eye control, involuntary muscle movement, and the hallmark sign of this one is confusion and, con and or confabulation. Does anyone know what confabulation is? I just love this word. I'm a word nerd. Okay. <clears throat> so confabulation is basically when a person is speaking and they are using a tone, a pacing, a pauses that all make sense, right? So it sounds very logical. But if you actually listen to the words, it makes no darn sense. <clears throat> so when I was in grad school, Miss Teen South Carolina, 2007, um, had stage fright. She did not have confabulation, let me be clear. Or she did not have Wernicke-Korsakoff. She sounded like she had confabulation. She did not have Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome. She had stage fright. But for an example of what confabulation might sound like, here is how this poor, poor sweet girl uh, responded to the question, Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the United States on a world map. Why do you think this is? Okay, here's her response. 
I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because um, some uh, people out there in our nation don't have maps. And I believe that our education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere, like such as, and I believe that they should, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S., or and um, should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries. So we will be able to build up our future for our children. She did not have Wernicke-Gorskop syndrome, right? That was just straight up stage fright. But that's a good example of what confabulation sounds. You can find her to this day on YouTube and it's, it's entertaining because she's so rehearsed at giving a pageant answer that it really does sound like it's a logical series of statements. But if you listen to the words or read the transcript, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. If you're concerned, she got to go on the Today Show and um, like give her answer again and got her 15 minutes of fame out of, out of having, having had that moment of stage fright. Um, Holly, I agree, that video is iconic. I will never forget it because I was literally studying this in grad school when that happened. And I was like, that, that's confabulation. That's, that's what it is right there. So yeah, if you need, if you need a moment of um, amusement today, I think it was Miss, Miss Teen South Carolina 2007. I think that's, that's who it was. Anyway, now you know what confabulation sounds like. Riboflavin, moving right along. No toxicity reported for riboflavin. Excess supplementation can cause urine to become bright yellow. So when we get to urine analysis, if you have bright yellow urine, that's a, that's a possible explanation. If you are measuring it in the um, blood or serum, you're actually gonna measure for a particular enzyme for erythrocyte glutathione reductase. Um, you could also try to look at cellular and urinary concentrations of riboflavin. Um, but this again would only tell you, like urinary concentrations would only tell you recent intake. So that's not going to be as helpful for looking at a possible deficiency. So riboflavin deficiency itself causes all of these things. So muscle weakness, you're doing a functional assessment as part of your NFPE, um, glossitis, chylosis, stomatitis, anemia. We'll get to it. We're going to have a whole day just on the different heme, heme formation and different anemias um, and confusion. Those at risk, alcoholics, and any diseases that interfere with riboflavin utilization, including diseases of the thyroid. Um, so that's possible signs and symptoms. I've got some pictures coming up. Niacin is the deficiency of pellagra, which roughly translates to rough skin. This one of niacin deficiency is what leads to dermatitis. So this, this inflammation and, and um, issues on the skin, dementia, diarrhea, and death. So those, that's quite the four Ds there. Um, <clears throat> causes, um, it, the, the dementia can also lead to depression, anxiety, irritability, and inability to concentrate. It was once common, but it's now typically only seen in general malnutrition um, or chronic alcoholism. Um, and so diets that were limited in both niacin and tryptophan were problematic for um, pellagra. So this was once, um, um, pellagra was actually endemic in the, the southern parts of the United States once upon a time when corn was a primary protein source because it's low in both niacin and tryptophan. So more examples of what that dermatitis could look like, um, <clears throat> where you see here this, this redness and swelling. 
the trouble with trying to detect um, the cause of a dermatitis is that there's multiple possible nutrients. So an essential fatty acid deficiency, a zinc deficiency, a niacin deficiency, or a riboflavin deficiency could manifest in this way. This is another slide of specifically pelagrous dermatitis, so specifically niacin deficiency. And what's, what's notable about this, as you can see, it's particularly worse where the skin is exposed to sunlight. So it's, it's worse in combination with sun exposure. And then <clears throat> next step, so you'd be looking for this anywhere on the body as you're doing your head-to-toe nutrition-focused physical exam. Next up is pantothenic acid. So panto, pantos is the Greek prefix for everywhere. So it's, it's actually very, very unlikely to be deficient in pantothenic acid because it's a component of um, acetyl-CoA, which is in everything. Um, so if you're going to have a pantothenic acid deficiency, more than likely we've already caught that you have other nutrient deficiencies or general malnutrition. Um, so it's most likely to occur with multiple deficiencies. If somehow you could manage to have just a pantothenic acid deficiency, it causes something called burning feet syndrome, which is just exactly what it sounds like. Um, it causes tingling and burning in the feet as well as fatigue, weakness, and nausea. There's no known toxicity for pantothenic acid. You could look at blood concentrations and urinary pantothenate excretion. Um, but again, that's going to be reflective of recent intake. And more importantly, this is, this is not the deficiency that brings you into the hospital. Something else has gone wrong long before you get to a pantothenic acid deficiency. With B6, if you're assessing B6, there's a number of different ways to look at this. Um, you can look at um, plasma pyridoxal phosphate or PLP concentrations. That's the major transport form of B6 in the plasma. A fasting PLP would be the most informative, tell you the most. But urinary, um, is, urinary pyridoxic acid is considered a good short-term indicator. Um, <clears throat> there are some ways to test specifically, again, the, the B vitamins are so tightly interrelated that there are ways to test if someone is B6 deficient or deficient in something else. And so you would give like a dose of, of methionine, for example, and follow the um, activity and see what happens or you could just give someone B6 and look at their erythrocyte transaminase activity before and after that dose of B6 and see, see what happens there to get a sense of the level of deficiency. Here again, deficiency is rare, but those at risk are um, the elderly, those with high alcohol consumption and people on certain medications. Toxicity also rare, but it can be caused by excess supplement use. So, so when we talk about B vitamins, they're water-soluble. Generally, it's very hard to have a um, toxicity of a water-soluble vitamin, the exception being B6. If you supplement to um, greater than 100 milligrams per day, you can cause irreversible peripheral neuropathy um, and sensory neuropathy. So you, you don't, you don't want to do that because that would lead to difficulty walking, numbness in the hands and feet, and we can't fix it. So Deficiency is rare. It does lead to the same B vitamin deficiencies that we'll get to the pictures of the, of the mouth and the tongue. Um, toxicity, also rare, but we definitely want to avoid it. And then if you have severe B6 deficiency, then it can lead to one of the types of anemia. We'll get to, we're going to have a whole other day on anemias specifically. 
Um, but B, severe B6 deficiency leads to microcytic, so very small cells, hypochromic, lacking in color, um, anemia, which results in inadequate heme production, decreases in oxygen availability to tissues, impairs the red blood cells ability to produce ATP, and it also causes the physical signs we're about to get to. Um, B6 is difficult to distinguish from riboflavin deficiency, which is again why you might do the test where you administer B6 and see if that changes erythrocyte transaminase activity to try and distinguish whether it's a B6 or riboflavin deficiency that you're dealing with. Because again, they're going to manifest as very similar physical signs. Biotin is another um, very rare but serious um, B vitamin deficiency. The, this is the fun one that you'll always remember because those at risk for a biotin deficiency are individuals who eat large quantities of raw egg whites because they contain avidin. And avidin is a compound that binds to biotin and prohibits its absorption. So also anyone with conditions that impair intestinal absorption or alcoholics or a genetic mutation in the um, biotin, biotinidase. Um, but it's, it is rare, though deficiency is severe. Symptoms of biotin deficiency include depression, hallucinations, skin irritations, infections, hair loss, poor muscle control, seizures, and developmental delays in infants. So all of these are bad. Assessment of nutriture. You can look at blood and urinary excretion. Um, and you can see within two to four weeks of inadequate intake in, or diets um, devoid of biotin, you would start to see that in the blood values. But again, it's going to lead to many of the same physical signs that we see um, with the other B vitamins. So when you're doing your nutrition-focused physical exam, for our purposes, certainly for this class, if you were to look at a standardized patient and they have the, the glossy red tongue, we're getting there you can just say probably vitamin deficiency because it, it fits so many of them. So with B vitamins, we're gonna start looking in the mouth. So what is normal for a, a healthy mouth? So as part of your NFPE, you've done the eyes, you've done the temporalis, you move to the mouth and you check and you look in the mouth. You wanna see that the lips are um, pink, moist, smooth, and there's no sores, right? So if you have sores on your mouth, that may impact your willingness to eat, which may impact your overall nutrition status. The tongue should be pink, moist, smooth. We'll talk about how smooth. Um, with visible taste buds, you should be able to see the, the papillae on the tongue. Um, and there should be no swelling of the tongue itself. The gums should be pink, moist, and smooth. And then for dentition, the, the teeth should be white and shiny, and you should have a full set of them. They should be, you should have a complete set of teeth or well-fitting dentures, but you can note as part of your nutrition-focused physical exam, if a patient is missing teeth or their dentures, you know, they, they've got their dentures on the side table because they don't want to wear them because they don't fit well, like poor dentition can very easily lead to poor nutrition, right? So checking the, the quality and quantity of a person's teeth is really important as well. So when we talk about NFPE, we talk about those six criteria and then micronutrients, but there are some other things you're looking for as well, directly related to someone's ability to eat, like their teeth, or their willingness to eat, like sores around the mouth or inside the mouth. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that with a couple of these pictures. So there's a lot of pictures of the tongue. Um, this is a picture of a very smooth or slick tongue. So your tongue should be smooth. It should not be rough and cracked, but you should have papillae. 
So papillae are the, the small bumps on the top and sides of your tongue. If you rub your tongue against the top of your mouth, you'll, you'll feel it, right? It's slightly rough. It's not completely smooth. If it's completely smooth, why am I not on the slide that I want? Oh, I've, have I been behind this whole time? I wanted this slide. Um, just jumping all over the place. All right, anyway. Um, tongue should have a rough texture. It helps you eat. So if it's too smooth, this is a problem. Um, and it's indicative of um, riboflavin, niacin, B12, folate, protein, or iron deficiency. We got options, right? So it's a physical sign that would tell you, tell you something is wrong, but it doesn't tell you exactly what is wrong. Um, is a ridged tongue a sign of anything? Maddie, tell me more. What, what, what do you mean by a ridged tongue? I only, like, I don't know, about a year ago, I noticed that my tongue, like, on the sides, it has, like, ridges or, like, it's like scalloped, like it's like of, on the very edge. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I think that's more of an 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 anatomical feature, right? I don't think that means anything. That's just the shape of that particular tongue. Okay. How you feeling? I'm fine. Like I went to my doctor and got my iron checked right after that, and it was fine. So I don't know. I just woke up one day and my tongue looked weird. <laughs> well, if it's suddenly different, that would mean that might mean something, but I have no idea. I don't know. I'm still alive. I'm standing. I think it's probably oh good. Oh, good. Here are some more pictures of tongues and mouths. So here's normal, right? So you can see, you can see the papillae, right? The little, the little dots on the tongue. That's normal. Um, so an overly smooth tongue is problematic. Here we have chylosis and stomatitis. So chylosis is having painful lesions on the sides of the mouth. If it hurts to open your mouth, you're not going to want to eat. Um, so that's an example of chylosis, as well as stomatitis, they're swelling inside the mouth. And oh, by the way, since we're here, this does not look like quite normal dentition, right? I'm not a dentist, I'm not an expert, but some, this, this would appear to be not ideal dentition to me. Um, so you could ask questions as you're checking, you know, do you have any difficulty eating? You know, there's, there's swelling, there's a blister on the tongue itself. The last time, I mean, you have a cold sores inside your mouth, did you want to eat? No. No, you did not. I can answer that one. Um, glossitis is inflammation of the tongue. We have some cracking and fissures over here as well. So you're looking for all of these things. You're also looking for um, any, any evidence of swelling in the mouth. You can look for um, chylosis is also causes this chapping and fissuring of the lips. So you can see like these, these broken lips, um, which could just be dehydration or it could be a riboflavin, peroxidine, or niacin deficiency. Um, angular stomatitis is actually specifically having this like angled cracking at the, the corners of the mouth. Um, although while you are examining someone's mouth, you do need to keep in mind um, the, the larger context of the patient. So different patient populations are at risk for other, in addition to the main thing they've got wrong with them, um, different patient populations are at risk for um, things like a yeast infection. So it's called thrush when you have a yeast infection in the mouth and thrush would cause the tongue to actually potentially be um, white or the insides of the cheeks to have white spots that you can't brush off, you can't remove them. And so this is important information to know if you are working, if you are breastfeeding, working with, and it feels like working, if you're breastfeeding an infant um, very often a breastfeeding dyad, a mother and baby can pass a yeast infection back and forth between the two of them. 
Um, and so the baby would have to be treated in that case and the mother has to be treated in that case. And you could find signs of that thrush by looking in the mouth. Thrush can also, if it's untreated, it makes your food taste funny. So you don't want to eat. Um, and it can cause some painful lesions on the mouth as well, meaning you, again, don't want to eat. So when you're looking at the mouth, you're looking for all these signs and symptoms of um, deficiencies, but you're also looking to see, is there anything going on here that is going to impact my patient's willingness to eat? And I have had thrush, um, so I can tell you it will impact someone's willingness to eat. But I am such a nerd that when I developed the, um, the cracking and the fissures in the corners of my mouth from thrush, I was like, how did I develop a B vitamin deficiency? I'm eating fine. It was not, it was not a B vitamin deficiency. It was, it was thrush. I had to take my, take my medication and then I was fine. The, the harder part is, is administering the medication. So for an adult, you just take a, a pill and swallow it and you're good. For a seven month old baby, you get to administer a dropper of fluid that has to be squirted onto the inside of each cheek three times a day. Yeah, that was super fun. Um, Gretchen, what is the question? What is the difference between stomatitis and glossitis? I have it in my nose. So um, stomatitis is painful swelling and sores inside the mouth. So you can see there's like an actual sore on the tongue here. Um, glossitis is just inflammation of the tongue. So it would be swelling and bright and red. So I guess stomatitis, you get the addition, the, the additional fun level of source inside the mouth. Um, glossitis just be swelling inside the mouth. Steroid inhalers can also cause thrush. Yeah, not not a good time, thrush. I got to tell you, not uh, not not fun. All right, so there's that. This last one I kind of included because well, I guess it's not the last. We're getting there. This one kind of cracks me up. So dehydration, you would have, you can see the fissures in the tongue. So there, this is not a smooth tongue. This is a very rough tongue. This is indicative of dehydration. Someone convinced me that this is not just a screenshot of like a, a Renaissance painting of a face, right? This is actually an image from a textbook that is labeled as dry mouth. Um, and I, I keep trying to find a better image of um, <clears throat> dry mouth. But when you Google dry mouth, you just get a zillion images of people putting on chapstick. <laughs> There's not, I have yet to find a good image of dry mouth. Um, but you get the, you know what dry mouth looks like. It's when you, you have, you can't find your chapstick for, for the life of you. Glossitis is our next one. So glossitis is again, that swelling and that change in color perhaps of the tongue. If it's specifically a magenta tongue, then you're looking at a riboflavin deficiency. If it is a beefy red tongue, how's that for a description? If it's a beefy red tongue, now we're looking at niacin, folate, riboflavin, or iron. So, you know, if it's magenta, it's probably riboflavin. But if it's beefy red, it could still be riboflavin. So again, when we're talking about nutrition-focused physical exam and we say you're looking for probable B vitamin deficiency, there is no way to look at these tongues and know which B vitamin is deficient which is why you would do the NFPE and say probable B vitamin deficiency and maybe talk to the doctor and say, could we run some tests to try and figure out which B vitamins are deficient? Although to some extent, it's a bit of a moot point because your job as the dietitian is to get them re-nourished. And if they need multiple B vitamins, then we're just going to get them adequate food and nutrition to restore multiple B vitamins. When we get you guys back in for actual standardized patients someday in the future, 
Um, we have actors who come in and play the role of the malnourished patient. They're not actually malnourished, so they're not going to have muscle wasting or fat loss. But we do fun things like they drink super concentrated Kool-Aid before you go in to see them because it will turn their tongue red so that when you ask to look inside their mouth, they will have a beefy red tongue. So we do, it's called moulage. We do some fun makeup and tricks so that when you do, are doing a nutrition-focused physical exam, we can sort of mimic some of these things. Um, they are actors. They're very good at what they do and learning their parts but we don't make them starve for their art. No one actually becomes malnourished so that you can assess them for malnutrition in terms of standardized patients. Um, so fun fact, if you're looking for, for a, if you're doing your standardized patient, when we get to do that at some point in the future and they have a bright red tongue, that was Kool-Aid that they drank like five minutes before you walked in the room to make sure that their tongue would be a nice bright red for you. So they're the greatest folks, those actors. They're, they're so dedicated. While you're there, while you're assessing the mouth, you can ask the patient if they've noticed any changes to the way food tastes. Um, if they have, they're not going to tell you they have dysgeusia or hypogeusia, um, but those are the technical terms. So a distorted taste is dysgeusia. Diminished taste is hypogeusia. And if you have inability to taste, that can be caused by zinc deficiency. So that would be important to note as well. Also, while you're in the area, you should assess for bleeding or receding gums, as that would be indicative of vitamin C deficiency, which we all know is scurvy, which we all know is popular in pirates. And no, Johnny Depp does not have scurvy, but I needed an excuse to put a picture of Johnny Depp in a pirate costume on the slides, so that's why he's here. So while you're assessing the mouth, you're going to be looking at the teeth, the tongue, the gums, the lips, asking questions about... Um, <clears throat> their perceived taste, any changes. You can ask about their appetite. Um, one, of the, one of the many tricks to NFPE is keeping up a conversation as you're doing all of these evaluations and it just takes practice. So I'm watching the clock. We'll stop when we need to stop. I knew I had too many slides. I just went ahead and put them all up anyway. Functions of vitamin C, you guys can read. You can come back to these later. But the reason I put these on here is because when you look at vitamin C deficiency, these are the things that are the most visible or most notable in terms of what goes wrong when you don't have enough vitamin C. So scurvy, signs and symptoms are bleeding gums and skin irritation because vitamin C is not there for its role in collagen synthesis. You can also have easy bruising, again, collagen, poor wound healing, again, collagen, and can be fatal. Um, vitamin C deficiency can develop in less than a month. I have a picture of limes on here because we all know the classic story of the sailors with scurvy who were then treated successfully with citrus fruit, including limes. Um, so the four H's of scurvy are hemorrhagic signs, hyperkeratosis of hair follicles, hypochondriasis, which are psychological manifestations because, scroll back up two slides, vitamin C is involved in a number of different neurological pathways and then hematologic abnormalities. So we talk about scurvy like it was something that happened you know, centuries ago. It can still happen today. If someone does not have access to fresh fruits and vegetables, for example, you can develop a vitamin C deficiency um, and it will be treated with a much higher dose until it is gone. When you're assessing for vitamin C deficiency, you're looking for all of these signs. And from a serum standpoint, you could check ascorbic acid or dehydroascorbic acid. 
Um, and then more specifically, white cell and leukocyte levels are more reflective of body stores, um, which are higher than serum. So we do store some vitamin C, though it's a water-soluble vitamin. When you're doing your nutrition-focused physical exam, though, you could be looking for petechiae, um, which are these pinpoint pricks, these pinpoint bruises on the skin. Um, and that can actually be vitamin K deficiency or vitamin C deficiency. So I have a link here if you want to learn more about it. The, the fancy word for a bruise, apparently, is purpura. And there's different types of it. Petechiae is the specific pinpoint bruises. So it's not that someone like got slapped um, and they now have all these tiny bruises or um, what was it I did once? Once upon a time, I was foolish and um, landed the, not water skiing exactly, but I landed really hard on water and I ended up with bruises that look like that. I know what caused that. That was not a vitamin C or a vitamin K deficiency. That was just my inability to hold on. Um, so if, assuming there was not an injury, then, and these appear, that would be vitamin K or vitamin C deficiency. Carrie, these can show up anywhere on the body. There's no particular spot for petechiae. They can show up anywhere on the body. Um, so if you're, if you're doing your NFPE and you see these, then you would note possible vitamin K or vitamin C deficiency. So as you're, so we're, we're doing our head to toe, we've done the eyes, the mouth, we're checking the skin, you're moving down the arms as you're checking the ribs and the, the shoulders for, for fat and muscle. Um, and then you move down towards the hands. While you're checking the hands, you can check capillary refill time. So capillary refill time means you press on your own fingernail, you'll never guess whose hands these are. You press on your own fingernail and it blanches, right? You can see how it has turned white. And then when you let go, within about two seconds, it should come back, it should rebound to normal. If it's um, taking longer than two seconds, then the person could be dehydrated, they could have a vitamin A deficiency or a vitamin C deficiency. So there's multiple things that it could be, but you can do, this is a very easy test. You can try it on yourself, not to press that hard, it's not gonna hurt. Um, and you can test for um, the, that possibility. Um, Megan, if someone has nail polish or fake nails on, you just skip it. There's, there's any number of other ways to assess for um, dehydration, vitamin A or vitamin C. Um, although if they're in the hospital long enough, at some point that, that it's going to grow out, right? Unless they've got someone coming to maintain it for them. Did you say what blanching is? Is blanching that it means it turns white? Yes. Thank you. Right here. So this, this front part of the fingernail is blanched, as is the rest of my, in this piece of my hand where the ring is compressing my hand really hard. This is blanched, and then when I let go, it fills back in as pink. So normal nails should be, should be pink, smooth, shiny. Um, we're, we're not gonna have time to get to everything. Um, in fact, we're so not gonna have time to get to everything, I'm just gonna stop and ask questions. Um, but this is, as we're going through, I'm, I'm trying to mix together sort of an A through E of the vitamins and minerals and a head to toe of what you're looking for in each of these places. So those of you who had lab, had lab yesterday are getting a strong sense of there's a lot you're looking for as you're doing nutrition-focused physical exam, which is why it's really helpful to have a checklist. Those of you who are coming to lab today, you also have a sense that there's a lot that you're looking for and you can't wait to learn about all the rest of it. Um, we are working on the, um, Peter, I found the cards. 
So folks were asking yesterday for either, there are charts. So with, with all of this, we don't expect you to memorize every minute detail, but we expect you to be able to do an NFPE, remember enough to know what you're looking for, and then go back to the charts and then interpret what you found. And so they're all split into the PowerPoint slides, but I also found the charts that just have it all on one page. So I will get those posted on the Lab Week 8 page as well. Um, and very much working on that index page for class. So I'm just sort of going back through every lecture, pulling terms and ideas and adding them to the index. Um, but especially as you guys get started or get going on, um, or ramp up, I should say, because you've been working on it all along. The, uh, the ABCDE project pieces, I know there's different stuff that you want to be able to find. And so I think the index is going to help with that. Questions, comments, concerns? I will not attempt to do 16 slides in two minutes. Okay, so next week, Monday content will be pre-recorded and posted. Tuesday and Wednesday, you're coming to lab two at a time to do hand dynamometer, BIA, sit and reach, skin folds. Um, and Wednesday, next Wednesday will be another synchronous session like this. And you'll be seeing a lot of announcements and reminders from us about lab and doing your at-home NFPE video. So details to come.